so many people leave law altogether because working in law can do a number on people because this profession is messed up in so many ways and not good often for mental health and ridiculous expectations, you know, all that jazz. But I don't think people have to leave law. You don't have to leave law altogether. I think you just have to think about how can I do law a little bit differently? And none of this is going to happen overnight. None of the stuff I'm doing today, all these steps I'm taking, leaving my firm to go to this new firm, starting this business, having the opportunity to join your podcast, none of these are just things that happened, you know, coincidentally. Or I shouldn't say coincidentally. They didn't happen overnight. You know, these are the result of a lot of luck, but also a lot of, you know, things I ended up doing four or five years ago and then pieces magically working themselves out over time. But I planted the right seeds and followed stuff I was passionate about and curious about. And it's led me to places that I was never expecting to be in. There was no plan there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Build Your Book podcast. And on this show, we talk about how lawyers can build a solid book of business authentically and stress-free for greater financial success, fulfillment, and peace of mind. I'm your host, Double Tank. Let's get started. One of the most interesting things that um, I encountered again and again as a coach is I get emails from lawyers saying that I love what you're talking about. I love the book. Um, I, I can see that this feels possible. But there's something kind of holding me back. I, you know, can I actually, can I truly build my business, my practice, my career the way I want to do it? Or is there, is there some sort of barrier that, that that's going to hold me back? Um, and I think this is such an important point. It's almost like they're waiting for permission or they're asking for permission from me to tell them that, no, 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 you, you can build it the way you want to do it. You don't have to wait for anyone to give you permission to do it. You just have to choose yourself. You have to make the decision yourself and go do it. And, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the people that I think best exemplifies this is Aaron. So, Aaron, good to have you on the call again uh, or on the podcast again. I'd love to hear your story because you're making a big career transition right now. You've been in the process of making it over the last you know, couple of months. I'd love to hear your story of how you were able to choose yourself. You didn't wait for someone to give you permission. Uh, you, you made the, the decision yourself and you're pursuing it right now. So tell us a little bit more about that. Thanks again for having me here. It's it's always great to be on on the podcast. So I think I have to take you know a lot of steps back. So as you alluded to, lots of transition happening right now. You know we're launching For All Academy. We go live June seventh, uh, about a week and a half from now with with the training company, which is great. And I'm also joining a new law firm on Tuesday, joining Renault and Co. Really, really interesting firm. Thank you. You know um, in Ontario and Quebec, doing a lot of stuff in tech and emerging tech, and they're just flying under the radar. They are crushing it in blockchain and crypto and tech, and they're running like a tech company, not a law firm. So it's it's really exciting. I, I really can't wait to get going. But and, and sorry, a, what what is Forel Academy? I didn't. I, I'm not too familiar with that. No problem at all. So it's uh we're modernizing how how young lawyers are trained. So so this summer we're launching four courses, uh, interactive training uh, live synchronous stuff. So once a week, we've got a due diligence course for M&A. We've got a closings course for M&A. We've got two litigation classes, all taught by some incredible younger lawyers. And we're working with about 100 uh, law students in, in Canada, in Ontario uh, this summer. And we've got big plans uh, for the future. You can check it out at 4L Academy on LinkedIn and on Twitter and on Instagram. So that was so, not meant to be a sales pitch at all uh, to the listeners no, no. out there. I think I was just really <laughs> curious about that. But you know, you're doing all these really cool things. 
Um, tell us about your story. How, how did you arrive at this place? Tell us about the bumps along the road. For sure. So, you know, I was I was young when I went to law school. Uh, you and I went to business school together. And so after a third year, you carried on, you, you, you did your fourth year, and then you went on to work at some really great places and build up a lot of skills at, you know, some of the top tech companies and, and large companies in the world. I took a little detour. So in my fourth year, I, I did this dual degree program with business and law. So instead of finishing my business degree, I started first year law school in my fourth year of, of undergrad. And so I was 20 when I started law school, which for North American standards is, is, is really early. I was the youngest in my class and I knew absolutely nothing. First year law, no idea what I was doing, but I was a good exam writer and, and, and good at sort of figuring out the system. It, it's sort of like in law, you know, no one teaches you the rules but but they're they're hidden and over time you sort of discover what those rules are and you say you know i wish i understood them earlier and in the practice of law i definitely did not understand the rules right away but in law school i somehow figured it out i think from a lot of reading online and just sort of thinking stuff through and so i ended up at the top of my class somehow or other uh which was great and i ended up with a job at a law firm uh, my first summer which at a big firm which is extremely rare so i was 21 you know working at one of the top canadian firms and you know really just doing what you're supposed to do, playing by the rules I was told, <laughs> uh, trying to do good work, saying yes to everything, really having zero control over my journey. First year summer, back for my second year, and then in Canada, you have to article, you do sort of 10 months after you graduate law school. So I did that, was lucky to be hired back, and so became a lawyer in the group I wanted to be in, which was our corporate commercial group, doing general business things and M&A work and, and things like that. Over time, I became a technology lawyer, uh, and I do lots of other stuff too, but I do a lot of tech work, and, and I keep getting asked by, by people I mentor and people I talk to, like, well, you know, what was your strategy? What was your path to get there? And I laugh because I'm thinking, wow, these people are way ahead of where I was. I had zero plan whatsoever. I stumbled into the, the tech space because of my interest in legal tech. And I stumbled into my interest in legal tech because I was really bored at work at one point in time. So, you know, I did a terrible job up until that point of, of choosing my own journey, of, of guiding my career, and I wish I had done a better job. But what really happened is I was going through a stretch at work where I was not busy. I think it was my second year or so. We had hired myself and another person, a good friend of mine, um, in, into my group. And you know, at that stage, I didn't have my own clients at all, which is very common for younger lawyers. It'd be extremely rare too. So I was completely dependent on everybody else. So I wasn't choosing the work I worked on. So I did some really boring stuff. I did some interesting stuff. It was a whole mixed bag. And I went through a stretch where I was not busy. And I probably could have not shown up at work for a week and, and nothing would have gone wrong. Like it was, I was that not busy. You know, the time where you're staring at a clock and you're trying to look busy and you're trying to find ways to look busy, uh, which is, is a, th a thing I haven't had in a long time. But back then, that was the kind of thing where, you know, you've got... You're looking and going, how am I going to stretch out this work until five o'clock? Like, I don't want to leave before then. I'd feel that optically. And I stumbled onto a legal, a, a site listing, you know, 50 legal tech companies uh, in, in, in Canada or in Toronto, I should say. And at that point in time, like I had exhausted the internet that day in that week. Like I was bored. Like there's nothing worse than having nothing to do when you actually want to be busy. And so I stumbled onto this site and I had time. And I'm looking at this list going, I don't know a single one of these companies, but I'm also confident no one I work with knows any of these companies. And I started reaching out to them. You know, I had time. And that was sort of the start into this crazy journey I've been on was literally boredom. <laughs> and I started choosing my own adventure then and it went way down the rabbit hole. Set up meetings with these companies. We ended up onboarding some of them, brought them into pitch, ran pilot projects, started using them, became friends with some of these people. But it all started out of boredom. But I went down that path. And from there, 
uh, it led to a whole host of other things. So started, you know, getting really involved in legal tech internally at my firm and getting involved in the broader legal tech community uh, in Toronto and, and driving adoption, doing all these things at my firm that were not part of my job description. My job was, and as we're recording today, still is to be a lawyer, which to most people, unfortunately, still means bill hours and maybe bring in business. And that is it. You know, the people who are responsible for legal tech, those aren't practicing lawyers. Those are people who have opted out. Maybe they're doing knowledge management. Maybe they're working for a legal tech company. But those are not what lawyers in private practice do. You put your head down, you bill, you bill some more, and you bring in work. And I sort of opted out of that. And when I say opted out, I really mean I opted into doing a second job, which was all these other things. Because one of the challenges, I think, uh, in this current system is it's really tough to carve out your own path when it's not available to you, unless you're willing to, at some point early on, go above and beyond, right? No one was going to pay me right away to say, hey, Aaron, um, yeah, we're totally fine with you spending half your day doing this stuff. We'll pay you the same. We'll, we'll change your incentives. No problem. I think we're seeing more of those jobs these days that you can actually opt into, but they definitely didn't exist at the time. And even now, it can be tough. A lot of people don't want to make that transition. So I chose my own adventure and said, you know what? I want to do this stuff. And if I'm going to do it within the confines of the current system, that just means I'm going to work a little bit more. But it was something I was passionate about. And so not only was I helping others at my firm, but I was also helping myself. Because to me, like I want to give good advice to clients, but I want to provide value and do stuff efficiently. And these tools were able to unlock all sorts of things in my practice, where a lot of that grunt work didn't have to do anymore. I could service clients faster, provide better value, and suddenly I was inadvertently building a more authentic practice because I could offer better value, which to me was critical because early on in my career, I didn't want to market myself because I didn't believe in what I was selling. I didn't believe in the value proposition, but inadvertently from this crazy legal tech journey, I was not only doing stuff I was passionate about internally, you know, helping drive change and all this stuff, but I was also been able to say, you know what? I can now market myself better because now I've got something I can offer that nobody else is really offering. There's some great points you're bringing up here. Um, the first point I want listeners to really understand is that the value of pursuing curiosity and, 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 and the gift of boredom. You were bored through this and, and you were stumbling along. You didn't quite know what you were sort of reaching for, but then boredom made you reach out to these people and you pursued your curiosity. I think quite often um, curiosity squashed uh, curiosity is discouraged um, w unless it's within the context of you know your your typical day job. In that case, sure, you know pursue your curiosity. You need to do some research. Go ahead and do it. But this broader curiosity that hey, this seems pretty cool. This seems pretty interesting. Let me dig into it a little bit more. Um, a lot of people don't really pursue that, so it's okay to pursue that. And you didn't really need anyone's permission to do it. You use the time you have, uh, and and you use it in a productive and constructive way. But I, I think much more broadly, and this goes back to our episode from last week, which is about abundant thinking, youth started to think like an entrepreneur. Before it was, you know, I see this with a lot of lawyers, what they see, what they have, what they feel they have to do on a day-to-day -day basis is what's in their job description. And entrepreneurs, by and large, choose what their job description is. So it's not that you defied your job description, you expanded the scope of what your job should be, and you started to think like an entrepreneur. Um, the, the other point that comes to me is that by doing this, by pursuing your curiosity, by thinking more abundantly, by going beyond this, your, your typical job description, constructing your own job, you were actually removing risk from your career. 
Um, one of the things that always keeps coming up is that lawyers are extremely risk averse. Uh, and then you want to manage risk, you want to think about risk, you want to minimize the amount of risk you have. And people try and minimize that in their career, their entire lives. You know, they, they stay stuck in their own lane and they hate themselves for it. But at the same time, they feel helpless to even shift lanes at all. But listeners should really understand that by thinking like an entrepreneur, you embraced abundant thinking. You were able to stay safe. If, any, if anything, you your position as a professional within your industry and in all of these contexts grew. You became a lot safer in your profession by thinking abundantly, by taking this chance. So I really want to challenge that perception that a lot of people have that by taking these sorts of chances, by choosing yourself, by making a decision to go out there and, and, and persevere and be entrepreneurial, you're somehow going to have a high-risk situation. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your livelihood, blah, blah, blah. But if anything, you reduce the amount of risk you had in your life. I'm wondering what you think about some of these points. Yeah, no, it's such a great point, and and you phrase it so well. Uh, you know, obviously, any of these journeys are not linear. You know, there's ups and downs, there's bumps along the way. There's no doubt that I was pushing the envelope on things. You know, a profession that doesn't exactly love that all the time. So, you know, I remember uh, my mentor at the time sitting me down. You know, early on uh, as I was going down this path, he basically warned me. He's like, "Look, you're going to have an uphill battle. Like, the odds of your success are, are very low." within the confines of this firm, within the confines in general. You know, you, I was literally, you know, for second year, I was, you know, the youngest lawyer in the firm, zero credibility, you know, in terms of what I'd done in my career. And I knew that, but I also knew that I believed in myself and I believed in what I was doing. And I think that that's kept me going because I, there were, without a doubt, plenty of naysayers and there still are, right? A lot of older lawyers don't want to hear this. We grew up in a precedent-based system. Our legal system in Canada, other than Quebec, <laughs> and in the U.S., other than Louisiana, you know, is a common law system. And precedent in court cases is what counts, right? And so for a lot of lawyers, they operate the same way. Well, I've been doing this longer than you, so I know better. And I'm thinking, well, how many cases have you done versus how many cases has a, you know, some AI program seen, right? It may have reviewed millions of cases. You've done this 20 times. You know, but I, I still remember an, an earlier conversation where I didn't quite realize what I was in for, and I made some comment. We had a speaker come in from a, what's now a very prominent legal tech company in Toronto, and they came in to do a presentation, and, and, and a lawyer made a comment you know, in the Q&A session at the end of the session, and I sort of replied back, and I just went, like, holy crap, Like they don't get it. Like they, They're terrified of this. They're, they're doing the opposite of leaning in. They're, they're terrified about what does this mean for my ego? You know, I spent my whole career doing this. How dare you tell me a machine could help me? It could possibly help me improve. Well, and, I, and I still remember also when I was working at Diligent, uh, so I did this comment with Diligent, which is this really great uh, contract review, you know, AI company. Uh, they're fantastic. And so I did a little comment with them about three years ago. So I spent some time, like a little internship, and we were doing some PR in advance, uh, and we got featured all over the place because I think it was the first time a lawyer from a, any major firm had ever been sort of seconded to a legal tech company. That's unusual. Normally you go to you know a normal company to work. And so we were doing some drafting and internally people were just losing their minds about like, what do you mean like uh, our lawyers could improve using technology? Like you're making it sound like our lawyers aren't good. It was this opposite of abundance mindset, right? It was this very much this fear-based approach. And sort of going back to what you said earlier, you know, I inadvertently future-proofed my career. <laughs> um, I leaned into the tech and the AI and all that stuff. And I don't see this at all as hurting my job. No, this allows me to serve all these people that can't be served currently 
are choosing not to use a lawyer because they can't afford it. And I'm not a believer that you know you have to choose between you know quality and and all and price and you know I guess speed is the third one. But you can have really good legal advice at a good price point if you lean into some of the stuff, right? Because you're doing it differently. And I think for me though, you know, as I said, like this was just following my passions and following that curiosity. You know, if I hadn't gone down that path and kept going down that path. I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, I ended up as a tech lawyer in part because people recognized my legal tech interest and assumed, therefore, I was interested in tech, which it turns out was the case. I love working with tech clients, but it was that legal tech journey that started that. And then I started doing a lot of training stuff internally at my firm, too, where I just sort of realized, okay, you know, there's some gaps here. These are sessions I wish I had as a summer student or an articling student or first year. And so I created them. I didn't, I, I, you know, I wasn't waiting for people to email me saying, hey, does anyone have an idea for a new session? I just thought, okay, I have ideas. I'm going to do this. I'm going to reach out to the right people, or I'm going to run my own little side sessions with people. And really, it was all about giving back and seeing what I could do to help. But I wasn't waiting for permission, which is a blessing and a curse. Because again, in the confines of a large firm, you know, <laughs> people may not always love that. But that was something I was okay with because everything I was doing was in the best interest of the firm. I was trying to help. And it was, I think, pretty clear to people that that this stuff was working. But I think if you wait for those opportunities for somebody to hand you, hey, you know, Aaron, uh, we really want you to start spending 20% of your time doing this. Like, that's just not going to happen in most of the cases. Like, you have to create those own, your own opportunities. And that doesn't mean you you always want to, you know, beg for forgiveness. But it certainly means that, you know, if you want to do these kind of things, you've got to be thinking about how do I create these opportunities and not expecting them just to, to land in your lap. That reminds me of um, this this idea. Some of the greatest innovations in in other industries, and I don't mean just mean technology, software companies, but I mean aerospace companies. I mean engineering companies, the traditional Main Street companies that are uh, powering our economy in many ways. Um, a lot of them have these things called skunkwork projects, where a group of engineers literally spend a percentage of their time pursuing their passion projects. Um, uh, Google has that, Facebook has that, so many of these big tech companies, engineering companies, all these innovative companies, they, they in fact enforce that their employees spend 10% of their time on pursuing what it, whatever it is that they're really passionate about. And I'm really surprised that law firms don't really do that because this would be such an untapped opportunity. It can lead to more innovation within the firm. It might lead to better practices within the firm. It might lead to better human resource practices within the firm better hiring, better this, better that. There are so many different opportunities that are completely untapped. And what's holding people back is this limited scarcity-based thinking that, well, you know, if, if we if we just let people do whatever it is that they want willy-nilly, they're going to waste everyone's time. But that's such a negative perce perception of human psychology. Like, like people want to contribute. I, I think everyone wants to get up in the morning and do something that they're proud of. They want to come back from work energized, not drained. Um, you know, people use that expression, uh, you know, how are you doing? Oh, I'm just surviving, man. No, I want people to thrive. And, and when we embrace this different view of humanity, we embrace this different view of the people around us, everything changes. And of course, there's a little bit of time where, where there, there's this initial discomfort, but um, where people are like, is this really, is this for real? Like, you know, I should just go back to my work. Uh, but some people are going to take up the, the baton and, and they're going to run with it. They're going to do something with it. And I think more of us need to, if your firm doesn't allow you to do that, maybe you need to choose yourself, give yourself permission to do it yourself. And I should say that 
at its heart, this is what business development is as well. Business development itself is as well. It's you choosing yourself. It's you choosing that, well, you know what? Like this client is really missing out on all of this value. Let me propose it to them and let me find some interesting angle to, to, to help them out. That is at its heart what, what, what this is all about. You know, I, I remember I was talking to um, uh, Norm Bacall, uh, incredible guy, and he was telling me about his journey on signing some of the largest Hollywood clients. And he said that, listen, it was just me persistently finding ways to add value. No one gave him permission to do that. He just chose himself. He said that this is, you know, I, I, here's a client I really like. I want them as, as a partner. I want to build a deep relationship with them. Let me find ways to help them. Let me, I, without unprompted, unprompted, let me give them a lot of value. Let me do it again and again and again. And eventually they signed up with him. So this is really about, about changing our perspective and, um, and, and choosing ourselves, giving ourselves permission to do whatever it is that we want within a responsible confine. And yeah, like it, 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 it's not rocket science. It's, it's having the self-confidence and the courage to do it. For sure. And I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's your career, whether, whether you're a lawyer, you know, you're a salesperson, you're a Hollywood exec, it, it doesn't matter. And law firms have every incentive, especially as a junior, just to have you bill more time, right? They make money, they're highly leveraged. That's how they make their money is you billing hours. You know, no one is going to say to you, you know, Aaron, you really should be spending more time on business development and less time working, you know, and billing hours. You're never going to hear that. If anything, they're going to say you should be doing more of everything. But, you know, the incentives are not aligned to put yourself first and to do what makes the most sense for your long-term career. And early on, as I was sort of alluding to earlier, early on, I followed the rules I was told. And the rules I was told were become a good lawyer, learn your craft, put your head down, work a ton and bill, worry about everything else later. And that was some of the worst advice I've ever gotten. It was from well-intentioned people, but it was terrible advice. And it may have worked for them in a different era. It may not have worked for them. But I also think a lot of people don't realize how much luck played into it, you know, or connections or, 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 or all those kind of things that they don't realize when they look back on their journey, you know, how big a role that played. And similar with business development, no one's going to tell you to do more business development, or they might say you should think about it, or we want you to do it. But no one's going to say to you, Aaron, you need to carve out 12 hours a week, 20 hours a week to do business development. If you don't carve out that time, it's not going to be there. It, it's not the kind of thing that anyone is going to schedule in your calendar for you. And so I think what happens with a lot of lawyers is they just sort of say like, oh, I'll do it when I have time, but there's never time. And so you, you got you got to you got to build it in. But, but going back double to something you said earlier, I think law firms have your classic innovators dilemma. In fact, I am positive they have your classic innovators dilemma. Uh, and really this, this fear of cannibalizing this existing business that is very lucrative for very bizarre reasons. And you know, if you start undercutting your own business, you're thinking, well, like, why would I do that? We're, we're making so much money now. Why would I start offering the same services for less? But over time, what that means is your business will cease to exist eventually or be a shell of itself as all these new competitors come in and it's these new entrants to the market, uh, which is the classic, uh, if anyone's read the book, uh, you know, those are the ones that are able to do this because they don't have that same, you know, sunk cost fallacy and that same fear of cannibalization. They're able to do stuff differently and serve different people. And over time, they eventually take over. And I think, you know, as I was looking at my career, you know, at a big firm and thinking, you know, I don't really believe in this model at all. Uh, this is not going to exist in 20 years the way it does now. 
and just thinking ahead to, you know, well, what do I need to do that that is authentic to myself, choosing my own journey? And that was a, a big part behind, you know, my reason to leave and join a really interesting boutique firm that is doing stuff very differently and argue in the right way. Um, but it's that entrepreneurial sort of mindset. And I think during my time at Erdem Burles, I was very much an intrapreneur. So within the firm, I, I was doing that. And I think that was a good sort of somewhat uh, conservative, somewhat risky way to handle it, where I wasn't, you know, quitting my job and my guaranteed paycheck as a young lawyer to do my own thing. I didn't have the confidence at the time or the ideas, but what I was doing is building some really different skills through my side work, this entrepreneurial work within the firm. And a lot of lawyers are risk averse. And, you know, I put myself in that basket. You know, it's, it's, there, there were lots of times I thought about taking some riskier choices and, and didn't do them. So, you know, I'll be the first to admit that. But I think there are ways where, you know, before you want to fully take that plunge, you can still dip your toes in the water. And, and that's sort of what I did. I, I probably played it maybe too conservatively as I, I was leaving every door open and as a result, doing a lot of things and working a lot, but it allowed me to foster these really interesting relationships in the legal tech space, in the knowledge management space, in the legal, uh, in the traditional law space, in the, like you, you name it. And suddenly now I'm watching the fruits of, of those efforts, which was never the intent, all come together. So with 4L Academy, for example, we're blending legal tech with training, with substantive stuff, and I'm able to tap into all these networks, all these relationships I've built and really do something different that I don't think most other people could have pulled off, not because they're, they're, I'm smarter or anything like that, but because I went on this weird journey and pursued these passions of mine, uh, that, that's, that's allowing me to do some of the stuff I'm doing now. So, you know, I'm so glad, you know, although plenty of ups and downs, as I said before, plenty of challenges, plenty of uh, moments where I thought, you know, do I just quit doing this? Do I just go back to, to doing my old stuff, you know, being a normal lawyer? But I knew deep down, like, that's not what I wanted to do. It wasn't authentic. And it wasn't, you know, did I want to be another one of these lawyers that hates their job and has golden handcuffs and can't leave? Or did I want to be somebody who could actually say, you know what, every component of what I'm doing, I actually like. You know, I need to work less, for sure. I've overcommitted myself in a lot of ways. But every single thing I'm working on, is a passion now. I like the clients I work with, the side products I'm working on are really interesting. That was not the case, you know, before I started down this path at all. And I was fully at the mercy of my colleagues and everybody else. And that's just not a place for happiness. As you're talking, I, I'm reminded of an excellent book. It's called The Startup of You. It's written by Reid Hoffman, the guy who founded LinkedIn. Um, great, great book. I highly recommend it. One of the claims he makes is that um, every single one of us whether you're a lawyer, whether you're working in any other industry, you need to think of yourself as a startup. You need to think of yourself entrepreneurially, uh, if that's if that's even a word. But um, I think it's a false dichotomy to think that, well, I'm an employee at this firm. Let me stay in my lane and keep keep doing what I'm doing. And the entrepreneurs or the entrepreneurs are different than me. Uh, they're the ones who are risk takers. They're going to try something out, and then they're going to fall fall flat on their face. Sometimes they'll work, and they'll be outrageously successful. I think that model is completely outdated. I think we're all entrepreneurs um, at heart, and we all have to embrace that role right now. It does a couple of things. A, it frees you. It frees you from fear um, because you're always – being an entrepreneur is about uh, looking at the world from the lens of possibility. It's about looking at the world from the perspective of abundance. It's about knowing that there's always going to be another opportunity out there, that nothing that I'm doing right now is the be-all, end-all. That's part of the mindset shift that you make. 
B, it, it frees you from this, this scarcity-based mindset where you're like, well, you know, I can provide value to someone else because I don't see the immediate payoff. Like you've talked about that many, many times. If, you, if you're always just thinking about, well, what's the payoff right here? What's, your, what's the payoff right here, right now? Um, you're not going to make any headways. You're going to need to expand that perspective. And I think lastly, it, it frees you to take these chances. It free, frees you to pursue your curiosity. It makes you happier at your work. It makes you, um, it makes you get up in the morning and be happy with what, what it is that you're doing. And isn't that what it's all about? Do you want to really spend the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years in a profession that you hate? Getting up, like dreading the day? Um, and, and so, you know, I, I think this dichotomy between employee and entrepreneur, entrepreneur is, is a false dichotomy. We all need to start thinking of ourselves as entrepreneurs. We need to start thinking of ourselves in an iterative way. I'm doing this right now. What can I do differently? What, what's working for me? What's not really working for me? How can I embrace change? Uh, people are deadly terrified of ambiguity. They're, they're terrified of change. But being an entrepreneur is embracing that change and seeing, well, what's the advantage here? Uh, that's what you did, right? Like you looked at all this technology and you weren't terrified by it. You said, well, this is wonderful. This is going to free up my time. I can spend time delivering value in a better way. And, and being an entrepreneur, once again, is about embracing that mentality. And so we all need to become uh, a startup. We all need to become entrepreneurs of our own lives, of our own careers, if not, you know, more broadly speaking with you know, starting your own business, uh, having your own firm, whatever it might be. So uh, I, I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I mean, I look at journalists as an example. You know, some of these people, uh, I'm just picturing a couple who are covering Trump. You know, you've got Daniel Dale in Canada. You've got a bunch more in the U.S. Their Twitter followings are in the millions now, right? Or at least over a million, all from doing their day job, right? Their job was to report on Trump, which in some cases was not a day job. That was a 24-7 job. But, and they did their what they were supposed to do. They wrote their articles. They did all that stuff. But in the interim, they built their brands. And think about what that means for you in terms of future job opportunities, right? When you leave, you own yourself. <laughs> it's you. You know, so when I leave my current firm on Tuesday, well, my LinkedIn following comes with me. Uh, my podcast, you know, my, the fact that I've guest hosted this podcast comes with me. Any awards I've won come with me. All of that is, all that's me. You know, so as much as you're 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 helping your employer at the same time, right? They are, they love the fact you won this award or you did this kind of thing. That's also you, and that's transferable, and that's the value you're building in yourself. So you know you can really do those two things together. But I really do think that profile building, which is really only something I've even focused on in the last year or two, is huge. And I think most lawyers are just flying under the radar. They're doing great work, but nobody knows that except for their existing clients. And it's a shame because <laughs> they've got a lot to offer. And I think once you're able to sort of you know do a little bit of self-promotion, and again, that's not in an arrogant way. Um, but just finding ways to get in front of people. It could be speaking at events. It could be, you know, doing some outreach. It could be, you know, all, all the stuff Davos talk, taught me about, you know, online marketing and digital marketing. And again, all in an authentic, honest way, it really opens some doors. And sure, in the interim, your firm is making money and maybe you're getting some of that money, maybe you're not. But those clients, like, you know, I'm leaving now and I mean, pretty much 100% of my clients, I think in fact, 100% of my clients are coming with me. In fact, many of other people's clients are coming with me, and I could have had even more of them. I've obviously been been kind to colleagues I've worked with, but I mean, the loyalty I've built, that comes with you. That brand comes with you. And so you really are investing in yourself, and I didn't do any of this selfishly. You know, that wasn't the goal. I wasn't planning on leaving my firm, you know, until recently, but 
but all of that is you. And I think you really do have to think about, as you said, like, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you're a brand, you're all these things. And you can do that authentically without, you know, you know while still doing your job. But the other thing, uh, Davo, when you were talking, it reminded me of, and I was just jotting down some notes as you were talking, is so many people leave law altogether. You know, maybe they, they, they do a summer. Like, I still remember, you know, after my uh, my second year summer, I'd already worked one summer before, but a bunch of my friends had just worked their first summer at a bunch of the big firms, and they already hated it. They're already planning their exits from these bigger firms uh, or from law altogether. And I saw this after articling. Some people exited the profession entirely, and I saw a lot more of that uh, after my first year and second year full-time, either people leaving to go in-house or people leaving law altogether. You've got so many websites, you know, podcasts, you've got therapists, all devoted to leaving the law. Because working in law can do a number on people because this profession is messed up in so many ways and not good often for mental health and ridiculous expectations, you know, all that jazz. But I don't think people have to leave law. And I sort of look at what I'm doing now. I've got, you know, a bunch of side things I'm working on, toying with every single one of them is law related. Because guess what? I built up a lot of good skills there, but I also have a lot of thoughts. I've literally spent the last 10 years of my career working in the legal profession. But what I want to do is do stuff differently and explore different angles within the law as an entrepreneur or as somebody who wants to help people and fix problems. So you don't have to leave law altogether. I think you just have to think about how can I do law a little bit differently? And none of this is going to happen overnight. None of the stuff I'm doing today, all these steps I'm taking, leaving my firm to go to this new firm, starting this business, having the opportunity to join your podcast, none of these are just things that happened, you know, coincidentally, or, or I shouldn't say coincidentally, they didn't happen overnight. You know, these are the result of a lot of luck, but also a lot of, you know, things I ended up doing four or five years ago, and then pieces magically working themselves out over time. But I planted the right seeds and followed stuff I was passionate about and curious about, and it's led me to places that I was never expecting to be in. There was no plan there. But again, I don't think you have to leave law what you have to do is free yourself from the belief that being a lawyer or staying in law means a certain thing. That's, you know, that outdated lawyer, most people don't aspire to be. And that's not a bad thing at all. I don't know why anyone would aspire to be like that. But you can carve out your own path. And you need, to, I think, just opening your mind to that, having that mindset is really helpful. What, what do you think about that? I love the metaphor you used. I mean, just earlier on this week, I was doing a seminar for the Clear Law Institute. And one of the ideas that I planted there is, we we got to start we got to stop thinking of lawyers as sharks we got to stop using this metaphor and this analogy of this hunter predator kind of kind of uh, language because it's so destructive i think no one wants to wake up in the morning and be like well i'm i'm out there to hunt i'm i'm out there to be a shark uh, and people uh, society they have this perception that you know these lawyers are like Harvey specters uh, of the world they they watch all these tv shows that that portray lawyers as these sharks and these backstabbing uh, uh, psychotic sort of people. Actually, I, I don't know if that's that's the case. I'm an outsider, but at least that's the impression that that people get. Um, and I think a lot of lawyers have that perception as well. As well, that I got to be a shark. I got to hunt. I got to I got to push other people down. But I love the metaphor you use that you're planting seeds, and that's exactly what I talked about in my in my seminar with the Clear Law Institute earlier on this week. That we're planting seeds. We need to embrace this more nature oriented. Uh, uh, a metaphor that we're planting seeds. We are gardeners. We're cultivating the plants that we really enjoy. We're cultivating our career, sort of like trimming up the, 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 the branches that, that are sort of in the way. We're, we're guiding the shape of the tree. We're guiding the shape of the garden. And once you start thinking like that, I think it freezes. It's, 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 it's a very psychological, uh, very subtle shift that comes, comes about, but it is freeing. 
I, I mean, I love the gardener um, uh, metaphor. I love that analogy. I love that image. I love that picture. And I think more of us need to start thinking of our careers as gardeners and not necessarily as out there hunting and killing and shaping and 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 uh, breaking things down uh, because that creates resistance within us. I think it creates a mental block within us. Well, you know, I don't want to break things down. I don't want to hunt or kill or capture or anything like that. Uh, but this whole idea of a gardener shaping the landscape that they want in the way that they want it to be is so much more empowering. It's so much more, it's so much easier to get into the work. It's so much easier to get into the flow. Uh, that's 99% of the work that I do in, in most of my cases. It's about changing their perception. The ideas themselves are they're not new. They're there's there's nothing new under the sun. But it's if we can introduce a new idea, if we can look at this whole thing in a different light, um, our world can change it. And that's really what this podcast is about. It's about small changes in ideas, small changes in thinking that can change the the the, the outcome of your life, the outcome of your career. So um, that yeah, that that's what I was thinking about as you were talking about it. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, as I said, I really didn't have a plan. You know, it wasn't to end up here. It was really I was following stuff I was passionate about. I had no idea where where the dots were going to connect and everything like that. But I knew, you know, this is stuff I was interested in. And, and as I said, that legal tech journey led to, you know, me using that tech. It led me to getting involved in that community. It led to a secondment. It led to me being able to attract clients by offering, you know, fixed fees and alternative fees. It led me to stay in the profession because I know I would have left if I wasn't able to use this tech. I would have hated I hated the old way of doing stuff. And so this was exciting suddenly for me. Uh, and now it's led again to, to working at a really innovative tech heavy firm and this training company that we're using tech on. But, but really, you know, the smarter approach would have been, I think, and I'm curious for your thoughts on this novel, is, you know, to, to sort of, you know, picture in your head, almost visualize or, or even write down is probably the better approach. You know, write down like, what is, what is this legal career if it's in law or what is this career that I want look like? And then yes. say, where am I today? What do I have? Am I am I trending there? And then say, okay, and this is the key part, what do I need to do <laughs> to start getting closer to where I want to be? Because I think so many people, and I'm guilty of this, I'm not a great long-term planner, um, so many people just hope and assume like it will work itself out. And while I didn't have a plan, as I said, I was planting the right seeds, again, I was doing stuff, I was following my passions, which as a result, implicitly meant I was planting seeds, right? Because I was getting involved in these areas, these communities. And I can tell you, I'd go to these events at the Legal Innovation Zone, which is this amazing uh, incubator, legal tech incubator uh, at Ryerson University in Canada. It was the first one in the world, tons of great companies. And I'd go to these events they'd have at night and they'd have all the name tags listed, you know, when you walk in, because you pre-register. And I'd, I'd usually take a look, see if there were friends from other firms who were, you know, signed up to be there they almost never ended up coming. They'd sign up and not come because at the end of the day, they were putting their legal work first, they were busy, and it wasn't a priority. I, I did the opposite approach. I'm like, this is a priority for me. I really want to be here. And yeah, often that meant going back to the office at night and doing work after or whatever. But that was something I was willing to do. I was planting those seeds for something I was passionate in. And it was always easy to go back to the traditional path. And I think if you're not thinking about where do I want to be, where am I, and the key piece, what small steps can I take now to get closer to that goal? You're going to end up in the same spot you're still in. And that's where you have unhappy lawyers with regret who don't like their careers, who are in, you know, doing areas of law they don't like, at firms they don't like, and in a way they don't like, and with no control. And, and I think it's avoidable 
And it's not, again, it's not going to happen overnight. But I, I truly think, you know, you got to start thinking about that a little bit earlier because otherwise you're relying on pure dumb luck and it might work itself out, but there's also a good chance it doesn't. I think that's a great place to end this episode. Um, stop thinking if your career is a problem to solve. Start thinking about creation. What kind of career do you want to create? And once you start thinking about creation, you unleash this creative capacity within you. You unleash this ability, this energy, this passion, all that kind of stuff that's sitting latent within you. And you'd be surprised at what you'd find. But I love that exercise that you proposed, Aaron. Now take out a sheet of paper and write down exactly what sort of career you want to build, what career you want to create. Stop thinking about all the problems. Start thinking about what you want to create. And once you start doing that, you'll be surprised and shocked and amazed at how ideas, opportunities, people, resources will start coming together to help you um, go in that direction. So it's a, it's a wonderful place to start uh, this journey, but in a, in a wonderful place to end today's podcast. Um, thank you so much, for Aaron, for joining. We're going to continue this on next week. Hopefully, you can join us again as a guest. Um, yeah, wonderful having you on today. It's been, been a pleasure and looking forward to doing this more regularly. This has been, this has been fantastic. Sounds wonderful. Take care, everyone. Take care. For show notes from this episode and all previous ones, go to buildyourbook.org slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe to it on Apple iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever it is that you find your podcast from. Share it with your friends and colleagues. And if you have any questions you'd like us to cover, send us a message on podcast at buildyourbook.org. And if you'd like personalized coaching to help you build your book of business, go on to buildyourbook.org contact. Until next week, take care.